Welcome to In My Headache. I'm Aaron Rhodes. I'm Bill Brownlee. Aaron is the oldest member of Gen Z. Bill is the world's youngest baby boomer. Aaron and I argue about, and sometimes agree on, the music we love and hate on In My Headache. In each episode, Bill and I debate the merits of two new albums and one vintage recording. In this edition of In My Headache, Aaron and I review the latest releases from the hip-hop, electronica, and jazz outlier Flying Lotus and the D.C. area emo band Origami Angel. We also dare to delve into the 1975 debut solo album by the reviled rock and roll barbarian Ted Nugent. My Headache is sponsored by the Vinyl Underground at 7th Heaven, offering new and used vinyl at 76 Centrus in Kansas City, Missouri. Aaron, if I was forced to pick my favorite artist of the new millennium, I might go with Flying Lotus, the 37-year-old Californian who was born Stephen Ellison. He manages to combine all of my favorite things, hip-hop, jazz, electronic music, ambient music. It's all there. He's related to Alice Coltrane, which I mention only because he's got that cosmic jazz thing from his aunt. Uh, he runs Brain Feeder Records, one of the most influential record labels of the last 20 years. And his 2014 album, You're Dead, and his 2019 album, Flamagra, were works of art. So his new release, Yasuke, is the soundtrack to a Netflix anime series. Have you watched it, Aaron? I, in preparation for this episode, I watched the first episode of Yasuke last night. What did you think? Um, I am not much of a anime aficionado or even what someone would consider a casual anime fan. I don't have an issue with the genre. I just, I don't, I don't watch a lot of animated movies or TV shows or anything like that. I guess I'm just more interested in a kind of uh, real life acting and I, I there's I'm searching for the simple simple phrase that um describes this um I, I would I would use that I I would apply the phrase grown man <laughs> that's why he don't like cartoons on television uh yeah we, I, I knew we were soulmates Aaron and yeah I don't like anime either I yeah, I didn't I say just, that I, I just think it's uh, childish. I've never understood the genre. And I do judge people who enjoy it, including our man, Stephen Ellison. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't smoke anything. I'm in my mid-50s. Uh, and like you, I stopped watching Yasuke maybe about 20 or 30 minutes in when a Transformers-type character showed up. I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm out. I can't deal in such childish, th childish things. So, uh, yeah, that, that's very interesting. But if, if you watch like I do with subtitles, 
you saw uh, the words complex jazzy music playing under the opening theme, <laughs> that was great. which which is uh, an awkward uh, awkward phrasing, but it is in fact true, and that's kind of what he does. So, Aaron, did you? enjoy the musical end of this project and or 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 did it uh did you dismiss it just as you dismissed the uh yasuke visual bill you you're you're stretching my words here i am not dismissive of this genre or this program i just happen to not partake in it um really by choice very frequently I, I was actually pulled in to another uh, Netflix anime series associated with a musician. Did you ever watch um, any episodes of Neo Yokio, which was Ezra Koenig from Vampire Weekend's anime series? Well, I'm completely oblivious to that. Oh, well, that's, that's kind of a fun, cute watch if, you're, if you have any interest, which I suspect you do not. But yeah, no, I, I really liked um, the soundtrack to Yasuke. Um, you know, it kind of, it's kind of uh, Flying Lotus uh, working with the same kind of glitchy hip hop electronic rhythms that, you know, he always has. Um, but I don't know, I think specifically, like, you know, I think the, the soundtrack, well, as I was watching the, the first episode was pretty tasteful um, and I, but I think that the, the final scene of the, of that episode where, where you tuned out, I think that's the, the coolest um, soundtrack moment of the first episode because it's like this big fight scene with, with a mech, as you described, the Transformer-type character. And they're, they're fighting on this river. And, like, the... I think it's... I mean, I don't know anything about traditional, like, Japanese music... But what sounds to me like these like traditional Japanese like drums and percussion and like kind of stringed instruments being utilized um, during that fight scene were really cool because it is it was like fused very seamlessly with the kind of glitchy hip hop style that Flying Lotus uses in his own albums. So I, I thought that was really uh, well done. And there are a lot of other moments of the the album i enjoyed uh what, what did you think just sitting down with the album i am disappointed aaron that there's not a track as instantly memorable as say a james bond theme i think this is a great opportunity for flying lotus to go commercial and sell out under the auspices of promoting a television program but he didn't do that. Everything here is very tasteful and low-key. Even the drumming you mention is purely in the vein of the things he's done previously, which obviously I love. But it sounds like what it is, uh, incidental film music. Okay. I, I, see, I, see where I see where you're at. Um, but I, I don't know. I think what, one song that did stick out to me on the soundtrack was uh, the one, the collaboration with Thundercat, Black Gold, he, he plays bass and does some vocals on that. And it made me like, it's not like an amazing song that I'm going to go back to on my own, 
but it did really make me uh, want to see Thundercat do like theme music for like different shows and movies and stuff because he has a very like cool distinctive voice and like he he has like a very kind of playful uh use of melody in a lot of his music which i think would make for for fun theme music yeah i think that's a really good call in fact thundercat would have been fully willing to do something more commercial with the opportunity rather than the one song you referenced black gold which i think is just okay but yeah uh Thundercat is a complete goofball. And I think this project needed some goofiness. And uh, Flying Lotus, like me, is kind of a humorless guy, at least when, he, when it comes to his, uh, his end product. And, you know, he's, he's, he's a serious cat. He's heavy. And so, he, so, this, uh, so Yasuke is kind of on point with that. Yeah, I mean, there, there are lots, lots of cool, interesting things here. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to suggest that I or give the impression that I don't like the album because I like it a lot. Uh, there's a song called Your Scream that has this 1980s cheesy thing that works. Uh, there's a, some of the drumming things like strikes, exclamation point, are really good. He goes back into the seven into seventies, like you know, uh, smooth jazz type things on uh, tracks like "Survivors." Uh, there's some really nice ambience throughout, and then the the final song, "Between Memories." If I knew where that was on in the visual series, I'd like to go find it because that's a really pretty piece with some uh, some kind of uh, uh, some some female vocals that sound really good. I'd like to see how that works on the show. Yeah, and uh, a track that stuck out to me uh, was also This Cursed Life. Um, I feel like, just from watching the first episode, I feel like it might be inspired by uh, the main character, Yasuke, Lucky Stanfield's character. He's very, like, brooding and kind of solemn in, in the way he, he uh, voices that character. And um, I think that song kind of might, might, might work as like a personal theme for that character. And I, I like that uh, track a lot. It was kind of hypnotic with all of the different layers that Philo worked into it. And also like, I, I, I appreciated, and maybe I'm misreading this and this isn't something I have any personal insight into, but I liked the fact that um Lakeith's character is this like kind of solemn brooding kind of samurai who's like trying to live a quieter life after uh this kind of chaos that happens in a flashback at the beginning of the episode and I I feel like um and he is like all these characters run into him and they're like oh who who's this like black samurai like in in Japan like what's what's his deal like I I need some of the characters like oh I've never even seen a black man and like, I feel like that was a very clever way of like maybe playing out and like dramatizing like different experiences with like casual racism and like microaggressions that like even like modern day, like American black people probably run into like, especially in the, the music business and stuff and the entertainment business as a whole. So 
I, I thought that song and the the way Lakeith uh, portrayed that character was very kind of thoughtful and interesting. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's well said, Aaron, and that's why a live action version of this would uh, be of more interest to me uh, because the, the themes are compelling. But all that said, you've, you've made me want to uh, knock on the door of the kid across the street and have him sell me some weed so I can watch the rest of this in, in, it's, it's in, in a proper setting. Yeah, we'll, we'll find you a plug, Bill. And yes, live action was the word I was searching for at the beginning when I was talking about not watching too much animated content. I, I prefer, for whatever reason, live action television and films. Well, have you seen the uh, next artist we're gonna, going to talk about in real life? I have not. Um, but yes, we will be, I, I, I hope to uh, in the future. Um, we will be talking here about Origami Angels' Gami Gang. It is their new double album. I believe they're from the DC area. They're a emo pop punk outfit. And I don't know, they, I feel like they, you, we were talking before we were recording about uh, the kind of thrill of catching hype bands, like just like a band, like on a roll at their peak, like when everybody's talking about them, like seeing them in that moment is very thrilling and interesting often. And I think as we reemerge from the pandemic, I, I hope I get the opportunity to see Origami Angel because I think from, from what I can tell, I'm not as deeply embedded in the emo scene as others, but I appreciate the genre. But from, from my read, they are kind of the on the rise hype band of the last year or two. Cause they, they played, um, a couple shows at a DIY spot in Kansas city called Parker two is the house venue and everybody um, involved at that house and kind of Kansas city's emo scene was very excited for both of those shows. And um, I had listened to a few songs of theirs from their last album. Um, when those shows were coming up, I'm like, okay, do I want to go see this band? And I wasn't, too impressed by the few songs that I did listen to, but seeing as they are kind of the band of the moment, I thought uh, this would be a, a fun uh, album to talk about. Uh, and I, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on and I'd love to hear your, your take on it, Bill. Here's something I don't say very often. I miss Warp Tour. Ooh. Every year I would go to a parking lot at a venue in a city called Bonner Springs to see Warp Tour and in the middle of summer, hotter than anything. I mean, the soles of your sneakers would literally melt out there. But in the course of seeing 20, 25 bands over an eight hour, nine hour span, I'd see two or three bands just like this that I'd never even heard of. And I'd say, my God, these kids are amazing. And they were so 
compelling live. And most of the reason that was the case is the fans of the band, whether it was just 12 kids in front of the stage or 1,200 who knew all the words and were jumping up and down, like that, it was, those moments were among the most thrilling in all my concert going experience. Uh, and Origami Angel are obviously one of those bands. I went uh, back after listening to them twice to look at some fan footage. And yeah, this band has whatever that magic is in a sweaty club. Uh, they're completely capable of pulling it off. And as I said, half of that energy comes from the kids who are really, really into it. So, uh, yeah, I, I was, I, I did derive a lot of pleasure from this, even though it's not particularly what I care for. It's really good for what it is. I, I would agree with that. Um, I, on, on first listen, I, I, I was having this kind of back and forth love hate thing about it because I, I feel like this kind of sound is something I've maybe grown a little bit beyond over the last several years since I was like very closely following emo music and but I think there's a lot to be said about like they have this kind of maximalist approach like they're just kind of throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. So there's like math rock riffs, there's pop hooks, this kind of like in your face uh, vocal style that isn't afraid to be like a little bit whiny or annoying. And, but they also have like these acoustic songs, they'll throw in like gang vocals and like falsetto background vocals. So there's, there's, there's a lot of going on at all times pretty much. And there's even like some like chugging, like kind of like late 90s screamo, early 2000s metalcore type stuff going on. I'm not really sure like what the, the songwriters backgrounds are, like what their kind of personal preferences are when it comes to that stuff. But it I mean, they, they kind of make it work. And um, and I was I was I was very ready to uh potentially hate this album because um okay so bill let me fill you in on what what's happening on my twitter timeline right now everyone is like tongue-in-cheek talking joking about the arrival of fifth wave emo and um so it's funny of course just like that it's got to this like revival of a revival of, you know, and so on. And so, and my, my, my Bill Brownlee style hot take was going to be emo right now, all either sounds like modern baseball, which is like catchy mid-paced pop punk with like lots of cultural references and proper nouns and stuff, or it's all like kind of boring atmospheric bullshit. And, uh, this album is kind of the former of, of the two, of course, but like my opinion up until now, and maybe still is that like the last wave of emo that I was really into kind of died off between like 2014 and 16 and everything since then has been kind of bad and derivative. Um, maybe I just haven't dug deep enough. If anyone would like to recommend me, some emo bands from the last two years that are great. I, I want to hear 
the great stuff. I know people have made fifth wave emo playlists. I need to dig through some of those, I guess. But yeah, no, I was generally pleasantly surprised with this album. And, and on second listen, I like knowing what I was getting into, I enjoyed it more on second listen because, you know, it is pretty undeniably catchy most of the time. Like the only real critique I would have is that like, it's, it, you know, there's lots of like sad, relatable moments, but like, I feel like there could be, I feel like it's all generally pretty low stakes. Like, I feel like it is just like the gripes and challenges of being like a kid from the suburbs. But like, I don't know, what's your, what's your, what's your take on that? Yeah. I'm not going to be making a fifth wave emo playlist for you, but I can tell that these kids know that the genre is totally played out and knowing that they are take liberties with it. And as you said, throw in an unexpected hook every 30 seconds. They are self-aware. They're ironic, but they clearly love what they're doing too. Uh, these guys are unrepentant nerds. You know, they, 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 you know, there's references to star Wars and stuff like that. Or uh, no, not, no, sorry. Star Trek better still. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're just, they're just dorks and they know they're dorks. And uh, so like uh, there's a song about uh, acne that is one of the best songs. You know, it's, it's, it's really good and really smart and really funny and really relatable in the sense that these guys, every song is about being a loser misfit and trying to overcome that stigma. Yeah. Who can relate? Who can relate? Uh, <laughs> well, great. Um, if, if you want to talk about maybe a different kind of loser, we can get into our next album, Bill. Take it away. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get this out of the way up front. Uh, it feels ridiculous. In fact, to even be obliged to denounce the seemingly racist and hateful comments and behavior of Ted Nugent. Because being my age, even as kids, listening to and going to Ted Nugent concerts, we laughed at him. He was meant to be, and he presented himself as a buffoon. He's a clown. And he it was like, uh, it was like wrestling. He was like some goofball wrestler. Uh, and the fact that people take him seriously uh, is beyond me because he was, you know, e even the most feeble-minded Boogan know this guy, knew this guy was a joke all along. Uh, I'm not a, a, trying to defend any of the things he's said and done, but come on, man. Uh, it's not like an unhinged blowhard ever attained any level of power in this country. Right? Correct. So uh, Ted Nugent is canceled and rightfully so, but he was, and this is what people have forgotten. And this is why I wanted to bring this up today. He was from maybe 1976 to 1979, the second biggest live rock and roll draw in the world because uh, Led Zeppelin wasn't touring much anymore. And Errol Smith was kind of, you know, going in and out of their problems. So the headliner at all these outdoor festivals 
was Ted Nugent during those years. And uh, I, I saw him, for instance, at the foot, local football stadium, Arrowhead Stadium, where the Kansas City Chiefs play. He was the headliner over uh, the concert with Hart, The Cars, Bob Welsh, Sammy Hagar, and a local group called Missouri. Uh, and he was great. You know, he had there's 60,000 people were there to see Ted Nugent do what he does, which is act like a, you know, like an idiot. Uh, and it all began after he left the Amboy Dukes, a Detroit bar band, essentially, and put out this solo album in 1975 that was self-titled. It's my contention that the first 15 minutes, meaning the first three songs of this album, are as good as anything any rock band did in the second half of the 70s. So I'll put those first three songs up against Van Halen, Aerosmith, ACDC, what have you. This is as good as it gets. How do you feel about that, Aaron? I... Reckon I agree with you on that. Um, yeah, it's funny. My so you you have this long history with with Ted Nugent, and it's funny because my only real exposure to him up until this point was through um, I I'm sure I'd I'd heard Stranglehold and Cat Scratch Fever maybe in like you know just through movies or like video games or something like that. And then I knew that Ian Mackay and Henry Rollins were both, for whatever reason, big Ted Nugent fans. Well, no, it was because he was like, he, he didn't do drugs. Like he talked about not doing drugs and they, they liked that about him. And I guess they were, you know, they're both classic rock fans. And then also just all the ridiculous headlines that come out about Ted like every six months on the dot, basically. So I'd never listened to a whole Ted Nugent album up until this point. And no, you're right that these, these songs are just really strong compositions. And like, you know, a bunch of them are a little bit longer. So like there's, there's, there's these solos, there are these kind of jam moments. And yeah, no, it's, it's good as any other classic rock at that point. And I think like, no, oh yeah, because he, he's kind of, I feel like maybe... You know, he's from the Detroit area. He grew up in the Detroit area, but I think he was based in Atlanta for at some point re recorded there. I think, I think he recorded this in Atlanta and he's kind of piggybacking off of this Southern rock of that era. Like, you know, er earlier in the seventies, you have like Skinner and ZZ top and the Allman brothers, like putting out their classic albums. And so he's a little bit late to the party when it comes to that stuff, but I feel like he does, kick it up a notch like he makes it a little bit wilder and more aggressive and unhinged than any of those acts do there those those acts are all a little more traditional and i i respect him for for doing that much like taking southern rock to like this new newfound territory at that point and yeah no it's it's a really fun listen like the first you know the the it's funny the first listen 
I did of this album, I was just sitting at my desk right right here and in my headphones. And I'm like, yeah, these are good songs. These are capital R rock songs, strong, strong songs. I like them. Uh, but you know, it's it's not a it's not a it's not a at your desk in your bedroom type of type of album. So today I was driving on the highway through the Northland and I, I threw this bad boy on and let me tell you that was it's this is this is a road trip record this is a windows down rocking record and it's yeah it's great for that yeah it, it's primal you know this is lizard brain smash stuff music and i say that as praise uh yeah you, you yeah you've referenced skinner and yeah so these guitar solos and these riffs are like Freebird, but without any of the significance. This music has no meaning. This is music, to, like you said, to drive fast and to have sex to. If you could find a woman who wants to hear this. Yeah, no, I like that half of the songs are about babes because I love babes. Bill, I'm, I'm sure you love babes. Who doesn't love babes? Um, I think Where Have You Been All My Life was my favorite of the babe tracks, if you will. Uh, that's a that's a really fun song and um i kind of like okay there i also really like the song just what the doctor ordered and like i don't know if it's the the whole lyrical content of that song but he touches on like yeah he's singing about rock and roll you know just like rocking out and i think like my my theory i'm going to pitch to you is that the 70s were the last decade where you could write songs about rock and roll and it wasn't dumb and corny because I, I looked this up. I've never cared. Like I respect Joan Jett, you know, through and through, but I've never cared for I love rock and roll, which came out in 81, I believe. So I think that proves my theory. So this, this is a seventies rock and roll album <laughs> when, yeah. when you could still sing about rock and roll. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's goofy, but it does work. Uh, I'm going to ignore the Jorn, Joan Jett comment for now. So yeah, uh, Stranglehold, uh, Stormtroop, and Hey Baby are, is, like I said, as good as it gets. The most interesting song to me is uh, Snakeskin Cowboys, which seems to be an attack on glam rock acts and, you know, like rock guys in rock bands wearing makeup and so on, which is ironic because the music of that song is obviously a blueprint for Motley Crue and Poison and Rat and all those groups who obviously took the sound, but not the message of the song. Yeah, no, that's fun. And I, okay, Bill, you're, uh, you have a long, you have more knowledge of traditional styles of music that I'm not so familiar with. What would you call you make me feel right at home? Is that, is that like a, a jazz rhythm, like a swing, like what's, what's going on? I like that song, but what, I don't know what's going on there. That's the right song on the wrong album. It's yeah. almost like a mistake, Aaron. It's like, you know, someone at the record company said, Hey, we need a weird hippie jam on this album. And that Ted has moved way past that, but we've got this song from five years ago that he did with the Amboy Duke. So we're going to sneak it on here and see if anyone notices. Mm. Honestly, it's so strange that that song is there. It, do, it doesn't belong at all. Yeah, no, I really liked it though. Okay, what another song, maybe the other song that 
doesn't really fit the rest of this album though is i queen of the forest was like a really <laughs> dorky underwhelming closer like i don't know why that was there yeah that is uh not very strong either i think the riff is really good but out of all the idiotic lyrics on the album it's by far the dumbest and just in most incomprehensible uh yeah i the less we say about that the better honestly yeah he's trying to get all like poetic and it wasn't happening no it, it nothing about it's good other than the riff yeah. but that's what the, but this is a guitar album and you know i think only that this is the first time this moment that two people have come together to actually analyze the song queen of the forest that's never happened in the history of humanity <laughs> up to now yes okay and as a quick i would like to direct people towards af after you may maybe you read about like his kind of racist remarks and alleged sex crimes what the, the most fun portion of his wikipedia page is his draft status <laughs> have, have you read about this bill is he a dodger he Okay, so he said that, um, oh, okay, so it was weird. Like he, he did initially draw, dodge the draft in the Vietnam War era by like, he said he, in an interview back then, he gave an interview saying he ate junk food for a week, urinated and defecated in his pants on purpose for like to appear less healthy and was disqualified from the draft that way. But he later said that he was joking about it and that he did qualify, but just wasn't drafted. I it's, he goes back and forth and there's all these weird, I it's, it's a fun read. I, I just recommend that tab of his Wikipedia page. That's consistent with uh, just his, his persona either way. What, you know, so, and, you know, God bless the people who, take him seriously and love him. I have nothing against them because I, I genuinely like Ted. And when the opportunity presents itself, I go see him in, you know, 1500 C clubs now. Yeah. Well, what was, what was the last time you saw him? Uh, five years ago, maybe at a place called the Uptown theater. You know, it's, it's, it's fun. And these, these songs aren't going anywhere. And now that Ted's in his seventies, I still want to hear, uh, I still want to hear him do them. Uh, interestingly, I'm going to be in Detroit this weekend, and uh, the vocalist on this album, uh, the guy with the Spinal Tap name, uh, Derek St. Holmes, I think is his name. He, uh, he is playing in a bar in Detroit while I'm there this weekend, so uh, I may or may not be able to make it, but I hope so. Yeah, I'd love to hear about that. Um, I guess I guess that'll that'll wrap this one up. Uh, Bill, tell people where they can read your work. Well, uh, you can read what I have on my mind at therestandstheglass.com and at plasticsex.com, or you can read about me in articles about uh, a celebrity I know named Aaron Rhodes. Sometimes he mentions me in uh, all the press he's getting. So where, where can people read about that, Aaron? Oh, um, Bill is referring to an article at startlandnews.com. Uh, Austin Barnes did a 
quick profile of me and the magazine. That was a fun little thing. Uh, but yeah, people can read my work at shuttlecockmusic.com. Follow at shuttlecockmag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Shuttlecockmag.bigcartel.com is the web store. Subscribe wherever you're listening to this. And thanks a whole lot for listening. What we'll see you next time.